Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Common Room Talk. My name's Tony, and I'm your host. Now, this week, we are going to be starting the eighth chapter. It is called The Potions Master, and it has been a really interesting week for me personally. Before we get into this chapter, I just finished training for my new job, and it has been a six-week course. It has been crazy. Just learning everything that I have learned, really trying to cram everything into my head on top of the exact same timeline of starting school, starting theology. It has been just a lot really crammed into my head over the past few weeks. And so really trying to just relish in this that I'm finally finished with this training. I'll be actually starting my new position here in the next few weeks as we try and get background stuff all figured out for the new position, but really excited about it. And I'm hoping that now that I'm finished with training, it'll actually open up just more time to be able to dedicate to this, to church, to teaching, to my wife, to just really not be so stressed out from having just so much going on at once. I'm also really excited for today, uh, being Friday the 15th, it looks like it's finally going to start cooling off and feeling like fall outside. I detest hot weather. I don't like it. Winter is my favorite season. I love the snow. I love the cold. That's just my preference. I know that hardly anybody else in the world enjoys that, but I really do. And now that we're getting closer to Halloween and to the holidays, those are the things that also really make me enjoy Harry Potter. Those kind of things put me in the mood to watch the movies, to get into the books again, and it's just really cool being able to go back through it this way now in light of the holidays coming up. And I'm hoping, depending on how long these episodes are going to be and how long these chapters are going to be, I'm really hoping that we might be able to get to the Halloween chapter on the weekend of Halloween. I think that would be really cool if it plays out that way. Now, still actively working on trying not to say uhs and ums a lot when I talk, but I do know that the more that I'm getting away from hitting the stop button, record button, stop record, back and forth, back and forth, whenever I say a sentence, get a point out, whenever I'm thinking, I usually tend to hit the stop button and then hit record when I'm ready to start talking again. The more that I have been getting away from that, the more that I have been saying uhs and ums in my pauses. And so that is another just thing that I'm going to try and start tackling in here. And so it might sound weird every once in a while where you hear me trying not to stumble over my words as I'm conscious in the fact that as my thought process starts to speed up in my head, as it's trying to get to my mouth, I'm going to start stumbling over it. So you guys will probably hear those moments of hesitation if I don't catch them in the editing process. All of that is also supposed to help me in the fact that I want to get away eventually from editing in general. Now, I know that there are going to be specific things that I'm going to have to edit in and or out, probably like that last sentence there as I've stumbled over my words in that one. I do want to get away from editing. I want to make this as authentic as possible, but there are still times where I have to probably remove a cough or a sneeze or long pauses, but I do want it to be authentic and making it authentic so you guys can hear more of my personality, how I really am when I talk, and just really hearing how I'm growing naturally from day one to where we are now. With that being all said, again, this week has been interesting. I got to do a collaboration with two other podcast creators. 
One being the Unc D fiasco who actually hosted the episode. And so if you want to go see this episode, go find him. You can find him on Facebook. You can find him on Spotify under the Unc D fiasco. U-N-C capital D fiasco. And we also had the duo from Fantastic Cruising join us as well when we were doing this episode. And it was just really fun to sit there. It was supposed to be 30 minutes of us kind of just talking about how we got into podcasting, what led us to everything. And it really turned into about an hour and four minutes of a Harry Potter episode, which was not my intention, and nor did I keep leading it that way. It just, for some reason, kept on coming back to that. Now, obviously, we're doing this this Harry Potter podcast here, but the duo of Fantastic Cruising, Matt and Kimbra, both enjoy Harry Potter, Kimbra more so than Matt. She is probably one of the few people that I've met that could almost, and again, I'm going to emphasize the almost, go round for round with me in knowledge. Um, Just a fun little jab at her. I think she is extremely brilliant and very knowledgeable when it comes to Harry Potter stuff. And there's definitely... There are definitely some insights that she has that I don't and probably a lot of things that I have overlooked that she hasn't. And so being able to talk with her and Matt and Dan was just a really cool time. And if you guys, again, want to go see it, it's on our Facebook group page. I've put it there under the the Common Room Talk group page on Facebook. I haven't added anything into Instagram for about a week just because of how busy it has been. But you can go find it on Spotify Go find the link on our Facebook page. It was a really cool episode to listen to. Now, in regards to my voice, if you can't tell, I am sounding and feeling much better. Still a little bit of congestion, still a lot of the yucky stuff coming out, but all around much, much better. Super happy for it. It's been almost two weeks now that I've been dealing with that, and I can't tell you how happy I am to finally be done. So last episode, we went through the sorting hat. We finished out that chapter. We saw where everybody was sorted to. And we finished out the chapter with the Gryffindors arriving to their common room, going their separate ways by gender, and the boys going into their dormitory where we see them all going to sleep, and Harry having this crazy dream. Now, in light of that, I also watched that the corresponding piece of film that goes along with that portion of scripture. And it's funny because I've seen the movie just not nearly as many times as I've read the book. I've read the book way more than I've actually seen the movie. But every time I watch the movie, I still end up seeing things that I had never noticed before. Now, again, as I'm going through this series, I'm using the illustrated version of the book by Jim Kay, and I'm also going along in the movie with the extended editions. Now, I have the Harry Potter Ultimate Editions. Right now, only one through five. I'm slowly adding to that collection. However, they do have the extended editions in them, and so the deleted scenes are usually kind of just incorporated then into the movie, and so that's also what I'm going along with. Now, As I was watching the scene that corresponded with where we were in the book, which, side note, you guys didn't hear it, but I had to edit out something because as I said that originally, I said that corresponds with this portion of scripture, you uh, would have almost had a brief chance of 
me going into just teaching as I do in, in Bible study at our church. And so almost brought in scripture to it, not meaning scripture. Harry Potter is not scripture by any means. So, but the corresponding piece that goes in with the book, I noticed that as it has that night, they're, they're first in the dormitory for the first night, Harry's sitting in the window, kind of looking outside and you see him just contemplating life uh, as he now knows it. As it pans pans across across Ron sleeping, you see a Chudley Cannons banner hanging next to his four poster. And I thought that was a really cool attention to detail, that being his favorite Quidditch team. And so I really enjoyed that. It was a really cool just little attention to detail there, and I thought I would share it. But that's how the last chapter ended with him, Harry being him, Harry having just a crazy dream, not remembering that dream, and then waking up the next day. And so chapter eight, the potions master. And it starts off with Harry leaving his dormitory. And since he had left his dormitory, everyone is just pointing at him. See the kid there wearing glasses. Did you see his scar? Did you see his face? And so it says that whispers followed Harry from the moment that he left his dormitory, people were waiting outside the classrooms. They were standing on their tiptoes trying to get a good look at Harry. And I think this is something that was really significant as I was thinking about it is obviously the the first years, maybe the second years and third years, all of the people that are close to Harry's age are going to be the least affected by everything that happened with Voldemort and the entire situation revolving around Harry. Now, when you get to the upperclassmen, the the sixth and seventh years, obviously they're they're a few years closer to what had happened, being alive at the tail end of everyone coming out of that fear and misery. So I wouldn't be surprised if you would have seen a lot of upperclassmen more so than people his age coming to see him. Obviously, this is a celebrity. Uh, I'm air quoting, you can't see it, but this is a celebrity that is coming in to Hogwarts now. This might be their first time interacting with somebody of this kind of stature. Now, we we do see the effects of another celebrity that happens in the second book that comes into Hogwarts to teach and just how people kind of fawn over him as well. I'm not saying that they're fawning here over Harry, but you do see this typical reaction to celebrity. Now, as those people were all lining up to see him, Harry was thinking to himself that he wished that they wouldn't um, because he was trying to concentrate on finding his classes. Now, if you ever go on a cruise and there's Harry Potter trivia, write this next point down because this is most likely going to be a question. There were 142 staircases at Hogwarts. They were wide sweeping ones. There were narrow, rickety ones, some that led somewhere different on a Friday, some that had a vanishing step halfway up, which is Neville's favorite step, and you had to remember to jump over it. Then there were doors that wouldn't open unless you asked politely or tickled them in exactly the right place, and doors that weren't really doors at all, but solid walls just pretending. And so you see them struggling with really getting around Hogwarts, whether it's the the corridors, the chamber doors themselves, the staircases, it was just crazy. It it was a, a hard, I would think probably fun time trying to get around. 
And it says the people in the portraits kept going to visit each other and Harry, sorry, that was me flipping a page, was sure that the coats of armors could talk. I don't think coats of armors is correct. Coats of armor. It's plural for coats of armor. Coat, coat of armors. If you guys know what the actual plurality of coat of armor is, reach out to me commonroomtalk at gmail.com. And it also continues on saying that the ghosts didn't help either. It was always a nasty shock when one of them would just suddenly come out of nowhere and you would walk right through them. It does say that Nearly Headless Nick was always happy to help point people in the right direction. However, if you come across Peeves, it really added a whole lot to your day. It says he would drop waste paper baskets on your head. He would pull rugs from under your feet, pelt you with bits of chalk, and sneak up behind you, invisible, grab your nose, and screech, got your conk. But even worse than Peeves, if that was possible, was the caretaker, Argus Filch. And it says on their first morning that Harry and Ron really managed to get on the bad side of Filch because they were trying to get through a locked door, which happened to be the out-of-bounds corridor on the third floor that Dumbledore told them they were not allowed to go in during their evening feast. Filch, being who he is, and we'll find out a lot about his character later on, didn't believe that they were lost and they were trying to find their way. He was sure that they were trying to break into it on purpose and was threatening to lock them in the dungeons when they were rescued by Professor Quirrell, who was passing. Now, I wonder what that exchange looked like. Obviously, we know and we're going to learn more about Quirrell later on, and we're also going to learn more about Filch throughout the series. But we've already seen one interaction between Quirrell and Harry. So I'm wondering what this looked like and what it means to have them like being rescued by Professor Quirrell. But it continues on saying that Filch owned a cat called Mrs. Norris, a scrawny dust-colored creature with bulging lamp-like eyes, just like Filch. She patrolled the corridors by herself. And if anyone was caught breaking a rule or put a toe out of line and she saw it, she would whisk away, find Filch, who would instantly appear. Filch knew the secret passages of the school better than anyone except perhaps the Weasley twins, which that sets up a huge foreshadowing thing of what's going to be going on with them later on in the whole series. But he could pop up anywhere at any time just as suddenly as the ghosts, and the students all hated him, and it was the dearest ambition of many to give Mrs. Norris a good kick. Not sure why... Uh, that was the the go-to thing there. Um, we don't condone animal violence, no matter how poopy the animal may be. Now, the next bit, I actually want to read word for word because it's, it's pretty important. It says, but once you had managed to find them, there were the lessons themselves. There was a lot more to magic, as Harry quickly found out, than waving your wand and saying a few funny words. They had to study the night skies through their telescope every Wednesday at midnight, and learn the names of different stars and the movements of the planets. Three times a week they went to the gardens behind the castle to study herbology with a dumpy little witch called Professor Sprout, where they learnt how to take care of all the strange plants and fungi and found out what they were used for. 
Easily the most boring lesson was History of Magic, which was the only class taught by a ghost, Professor Binns. Professor Binns had been very old indeed when he had fallen asleep in front of the staff room fire and got up the next morning to teach, leaving his body behind him. Binns droned on and on while they scribbled down names and dates and got Emmerich the Evil and Yurik the Oddball mixed up. Professor Flitwick, the charms teacher, was a tiny little wizard who had to stand on a pile of books to see over his desk. At the start of their first lesson, he took the register, and when he reached Harry's name, he gave an excited squeak and toppled out of sight. Now, we just got to meet three different teachers there. We met Professor Sprout, Professor Binns, and Professor Flitwick. I think it's pretty cool that they get to go study the night sky the way that they did. It would really stink having to go do that every Wednesday at midnight, though. I can't imagine what their sleep schedule was like. And me, personally, I would love history of magic. Uh, history is one of my favorite subjects in general, but to go in and actually study the history of magic itself, I feel like if you were wanting to become a powerful wizard, if you were wanting to increase your ability by actual practice and aptitude, the way to do that is to study history. Look at what has happened before you. Look at what the greatest wizards of your time did. And then learn to emulate it, learn to copy it, to do what they had done, and then try and improve upon it. And so, I don't know, that's just me personally. I would have absolutely loved History of Magic myself. And then you see Professor Flitwick's excitement at meeting Harry for the first time when it comes to him doing his roll call. Then they go on to meet Professor McGonagall again, where it says that she was different, and Harry was right in thinking that she was not a teacher to cross, that she's depicted as strict and clever, and she gave them a talking to the moment that they sat down in their first class. Now, you'll remember in the movie, they show up late, she actually is sitting there as her cat form, and then transfigures into her human form. Here, though, she just gives them a talking to. She says, Transfiguration is some of the most complex and dangerous magic you will learn here at Hogwarts. Anyone messing around in my class will leave and not come back. You have been warned. I don't know exactly what that means, seeing as how I think Transfiguration for the first few years is an actual required course that you have to take. So, I don't know, maybe they had some other kind of like remedial transfiguration class or something like that that somebody else would teach i don't know or it was just an empty threat but it was meant to be taken seriously however that's what she said after saying that she then changed her desk into a pig and back again everyone was really impressed and they couldn't wait to get started but they realized that it was a lot harder than they thought it would be they were then given their lesson where they tried to turn matchsticks into needles. Hermione was the only one who was able to make any change at all. Uh, her matchstick had gone all silver and a pointy edge came on it. And Hermione got a rare smile from Professor McGonagall. Then it says that the class that everyone was really looking forward to, which is a theme I think throughout the entire series except for one given year, everyone really looked forward to Defense Against the Dark Arts. But Quirrell's lessons turned out to be a bit of a joke. His classroom smelled like garlic. Everyone said that was to ward off the vampires. His turban had a terrible smell to them, but it says that it was given to him by an African prince as a thank you for getting rid of a zombie. But nobody really seemed to believe that story. 
then one of Harry's fears were kind of put to ease in the sense or in the fact that he found out that he wasn't miles behind everyone else. Lots of people came from muggle families, and there was so much to learn that even Ron didn't have much of a head start. By Friday, which was an important day for them, they finally managed to find their way down to the Great Hall for breakfast without getting lost once. They found out that day that they were having double potions with the Slytherins. Snape's head of Slytherin House, they say, he always favors them, will be able to see if it's true. That was between Ron and Harry. Wish McGonagall favored us, said Harry. Professor McGonagall was head of Gryffindor House, but it hadn't stopped her from giving them a huge pile of homework the day before. At that time, the post arrived, which it didn't bother them then, but on the first day, it was a shock to them when hundreds of owls came swooping into the Great Hall during breakfast, circling the tables until they saw their owners and dropping the letters and packages on their laps. And so up until this time, Hedwig hasn't shown up, but today she did, and she fluttered down to meet him at the table, and he had a letter. So he tore it open at once and read it. It said, Dear Harry, it said in a very untidy scrawl, I know you get Friday afternoons off, so would you like to come and have a cup of tea with me around three? I want to hear all about your first week. Send us an answer back with Hedwig. Hagrid. Not sure why... Hagrid sent it as a letter. They've been having meals together all week long. He's in the Great Hall. Why not just come down and ask him in person? I always thought this was something that was weird and kind of, I don't want to say out of character. You do see one other time, I think, in the series where a letter is delivered to Harry from Hagrid. I'm trying to remember if that's precise. But typically, they just talk to each other. Now, I know that their relationship isn't completely built up yet. It was still just very weird to me. This one was out of nowhere. You don't really see a lot of this continue from here on out. Maybe that's just because their relationship does grow after this. But Harry borrowed Ron's quill and he scribbled, yes, please see you later. And sent Hagrid, Hagrid, sent, well, yeah, sent Hagrid the letter with Hedwig. And he continues on instantly with saying that he was glad that he had that to look forward to because potions ended up being abysmal. At the start of term banquet, Harry had the idea that Professor Snape disliked him, but by the end of their first potion lesson, he knew that he had been wrong. Snape didn't dislike Harry. He hated him. Then we get a description of where the potions class is located, down in the dungeons where it was colder than up in the main castle, and it would have been creepy enough without all of the pickled animals floating in glass jars all around the walls. And so I'm guessing that the potions classroom looked probably very much like a dark, damp apothecary that we kind of talked about in one of the previous episodes. Now, in the movies, that scene starts with them sitting in the classroom, Snape banging the door open and, and slamming the door shut, and he starts off his speech with the, there will be no foolish wand-waving or silly incantations in this class. Here it says that the start of class started with him taking register just like Flitwick did and he gets to Harry's name and he paused and he said ah yes Harry Potter our new celebrity which in the movie we see him say after his opening speech and he looks over to see Harry Potter writing something which in the movie he's taking notes on what he's saying now here in the book after all of that 
is when he has his little speech, and it's a little bit different. He says, you're here to learn the subtle science and exact art of potion making. And it says that he spoke in barely more than a whisper, but they caught every word. He continues on saying, as there is little foolish wand waving here, many of you will hardly believe this is magic. I don't expect you will really understand the beauty of the softly simmering cauldron with its shimmering fumes, the delicate power of liquids that creep through human veins, bewitching the mind and snaring the senses. I can teach you how to bottle fame, brew glory, even put a stopper to death. If you aren't as big a bunch of dunderheads as I usually have to teach. And then there's silence. Now, something we're going to kind of just get out right off the bat is this. Book Snape is much worse, much, much, much worse than Movie Snape. Movie Snape is honestly not that bad. Like, there, there's another way of saying it. He's not that bad compared to how he is in the books, particularly in this scene in the movie, you see Harry taking notes. Snape looks over, sees it, and thinks that he's just distracted, not paying attention, being arrogant, what have you. Here in the book, he just goes off immediately right after Harry, really for no reason. It said that Harry and Ron looked at each other with their eyebrows raised. Hermione is sitting on the edge of her seat, and then, boom, Potter, Snape said suddenly, what would I get if I added powdered root of asphodel to an infusion of wormwood? And then we see this in the movie where they are going this back and forth. Snape is asking questions. Harry can't answer. Every time Snape asks a question, Hermione shoots her hand in the air. Now, as this was happening, this back and forth, Harry forces himself to keep looking straight into Snape's cold eyes. And he was wondering to himself, why is it he's being asked these questions as if he didn't study the books. He did study them, but how could he be expected to remember everything from 1,000 magical herbs and fungi? Then Snape asks his last question, what's the difference between monk's wood and wolf's bane? At this point, Hermione stood up with her hand in the air, and Harry says, I don't know. I think Hermione does, though. Why don't you try her? Now, that's kind of what we see in... The movie, in the extended edition, you see Harry kind of give that backlash to Snape. And then Snape very dangerously sits down close to Harry, at least in that scene. Here, he tells Hermione to sit down and then starts going into an explanation of the answers of his questions that he had asked and then asked why everyone wasn't copying down what he said. And then he says, a point will be taken away from Gryffindor for your cheek Potter. In the movie, it's five points. Not a big difference. They were then assigned to go make a cure for boils. And as they were sweeping through the class, Snape is kind of looking at everything that's going on. And Neville had somehow managed to melt Samus's cauldron into a twisted blob. And their potion was seeping across the floor. And so within seconds, everyone was standing on their stools trying to avoid what was going on. While Neville, who had been drenched in the potion when the cauldron collapsed, moaned in pain as angry red boils started to pop up all over his arms and legs. And this is where you get another good look into Snape's character as he says, Idiot boy. 
I suppose you added the porcupine quills before taking the cauldron off the fire. So you see the way that he treats definitely his inferiors is what I would say. He tells Seamus to take him to the hospital wing and then immediately turns on Harry and Ron, who had been working next to Neville. And he says, you, Potter, why didn't you tell him not to add the quills? Thought it'd make you look good if he got it wrong, did you? That's another point you've lost for Gryffindor. That part's not in the movies, and that part stinks. I There is so much about the books that make you dislike Snape, but he does end up being one of my favorite characters, not going to lie. But he is a bully. Finally, as their class was over, they're walking out, Harry and Ron talking to each other, and he's upset that he lost two points already in his first week. Ron says it's okay. He's taking points away from Fred and George all the time and then asks if he can go to Hagrid's with him to meet Hagrid. So they go down to Hagrid's hut, knock on the door, and then there's a a large barking sound. You hear Hagrid say, back, fang, back. And Hagrid's big hairy face appears in the door, and he says, hang on, back, fang. And he let them in, struggling to keep a hold of the collar of the enormous black boar hound that is Fang. And really quick, before I forget, because I have already forgotten in a few places, there was a really neat portrait of Snape that was done. And you kind of have him standing here at his desk, leaning forward, his hands palm down on the table. In front of him, between his hands, there's a stack of books. It looks like with a blue potion sitting on top of them to his right or our left there looks like a skeleton of a monkey sitting there and there's some papers on the desk with a quill behind him were shelves of different pickled animals and it looks like octopus tentacles wrapping around some of them lots of different things to look at in this picture but obviously the main center focus being snape himself there standing just silhouetted against the wall really the only thing that you can make out Feature-wise is his face, where he has this long nose. He has these hooded eyebrows that make him look very severe and stern, with a lined face around his cheeks and in his mouth. His head's tilted forward, and he has this long, greasy-looking, almost wet-looking black hair draped over his face. And he does not look like somebody you want to mess with. The overall theme to the picture itself is the color green. As you're looking throughout the whole thing, it looks dark, but everything's tinted green. Now we get the inside, a little bit of description of Hagrid's hut. There was only one room inside. Hams and pheasants were hanging from the ceiling. A copper kettle was boiling on the open fire, and in a corner stood a massive bed with a patchwork quilt over it. And so you do see it's just one large room for Hagrid, which it had to be a pretty large hut, as we know how big Hagrid himself is. Hagrid says, make yourselves at home. He lets go of Fang, who bounded straight at Ron and started licking his ears. On the very next page is another just wonderful portrait. And this is a full page portrait of Hagrid's hut. And it looks like a very nice, inviting summary home. There is vegetation everywhere. There's ivy growing over his hut. And his hut almost looks as if you took a ship and flipped it upside down. That's honestly what it looks like. And it looks like there is a periscope sticking out of the top, which would probably be the vent for his open fire. There's an owl sitting in it, but there's ivy growing all over it. There's a few windows here and there. And you have the 
patch or the garden that's right next to his house where things are growing. There's some pumpkins, there's some trees in around it. And it just looks like a nice little, like a summer cottage. It's very inviting. It, it looks really homey and it's somewhere that I would love to personally see. And this is beautiful the way that it's done. There's gorgeous colors in this. There are greens and there are oranges. And if you look in the top right of it, it looks almost as if there's a transition of seasons starting to happen. Obviously, we know this is September. It could be the very beginning start of fall here. Now, this entire scene that we have here with Hagrid is not in the movies at all. So this is all completely additional for anyone who has never read the books. Now, Fang was sitting there licking Ron's ears and it was clear that he was not as fierce as he looked. So Harry now introduces Ron to Hagrid, and Hagrid was pouring some boiling water into a large teapot and putting rock cakes on to a plate. And Hagrid says, another Weasley A, which is more along what you see the sorting hat say when Ron puts it on in the movie. It says that he's looking at Ron's freckles. I have spent half my life chasing your twin brothers away from the forest. It continues on with Harry and Ron trying the rock cakes, and it says that it almost broke their teeth. But Harry and Ron pretended to be enjoying them as they told Hagrid all about their first lessons. And Fang rested his head on Harry's knee and drooled all over his robes. They were both excited to hear that Hagrid referred to Filch as that old git, and as for that cat, Mrs. Norris, I'd like to introduce her to Fang sometime. Do you know, every time I go up to the school, she follows me everywhere. Can't get rid of her. Filch puts her up to it. So we do see a little bit of animosity there, at least from Hagrid's part towards Filch. We see that develop a little bit as well throughout the series. Then... Harry told Hagrid about Snape's lesson, and Hagrid told him not to worry. Snape's hardly liked any of the students, but he says that he really seems to hate me. And Hagrid says, rubbish, why should he? Yet, Harry couldn't help thinking that Hagrid didn't quite meet his eyes when he said that. So, that is very interesting, as we know that throughout the series... Up until a certain point, Hagrid does defend Snape a lot to the trio. And it's interesting here to say that Hagrid wouldn't meet his eyes, thus meaning or implying that Hagrid does know something that he is not letting on about, as if he knew that there is a reason for Snape not to like Harry. Now, that's never really expanded on. You don't really see much of this. You see more of a turn for... Hagrid almost playing dumb about it, but it's not like it's being portrayed as being played dumb, but actually just being ignorant to the situation itself. But this definitely implies that he knew something, but he changes the subject instantly he says, how's your brother, Charlie? I liked him a lot. Great with animals. And it says that Harry wondered if Hagrid changed the subject on purpose. I'm going to say yes, he most likely did. And then while Ron told Hagrid all about Charlie's work with the dragons, Harry picked up a piece of paper that was lying on the table under the tea cozy. It was a cutting from the Daily Prophet. Now this article says, Gringotts break in latest. 
Investigations continue into the break-in at Gringotts on 31 July. Widely believed to be the work of dark wizards or witches unknown, Gringotts goblins today insisted that nothing had been taken. The vault that was searched had in fact been emptied that same day. But we're not telling you what was in there, so keep your noses out of it if you know what's good for you, said a Gringotts spokes goblin this afternoon. Now that article is something that we see in the movies, but it is right after the potions lesson with Snape. It cuts from Harry and Snape kind of just glowering at each other to them all sitting in the great hall where they're having some sort of meal. And you see Seamus trying to turn his uh, water into rum. And he's doing that weird incantation that eventually blows up in his face. But you see Harry and Ron then talking about this article to each other over the table. Now, the Daily Prophet was brought to them by the first owl scene swooping in, bringing the letters, which we already saw happen here in the book. It happens then in the movie where it brings the article. And so you kind of see all of that being meshed together. Now, again, we know that for the sake of time in the movies, they can't portray it exactly like they do in the books. So they end up adding things together. So it's not a problem. And I think that in all honesty... The Sorcerer's Stone, or the Philosopher's Stone, depending on where you're listening to this from, has or does a much better job at keeping as many of these things in line as possible. But it says that Harry remembered Ron telling him on the train that someone had tried to rob Gringotts, but Ron hadn't mentioned the date. And he says, Hagrid, that Gringotts break-in happened on my birthday. It might have happened while we were there. And there was no doubt about it this time. Hagrid did not meet Harry's eyes when he said this. He grunted and offered him another rock cake. Harry read the story again. The vault that was searched had in fact been earlier that same day. Hagrid had emptied the vault 713. If you could call it emptying, taking out that grubby little package, had that been what the thieves were looking for. So Harry and Ron leave. They walk back to the castle. They're going for dinner, and their pockets were weighed down with the rock cakes that they had been too polite to refuse. And then Harry is just contemplating on the vault, the package, and everything, and it said that uh, none of the lessons that he had been to thus far had given him nearly as much to think about as the time that he had spent just now with Hagrid. With the package that he collected um, did he had just collect it in time? Was it here in the castle now? And did Hagrid know something about Snape that he wouldn't tell Harry? And that brings us to the end of that chapter. And that, that is one of the, I would say, smaller chapters of the book here. There's not that much information in it. It is, I don't want to say a filler episode because it does set up some plot points there. But it is a really nice, really fun chapter. Next week, when we're going to jump into is chapter nine, The Midnight Duel. And I really enjoy having these episodes where I don't have to break the episodes up into two parts. Unfortunately, it's going to happen more frequently. And I have a feeling that when we get later on into the series, we might be breaking the chapters up into three parts. It's really going to make this entire series drawn out, which is really cool for us. We want longevity. This is really good for being able to just keep going for a very long time. Now, please, if you guys are listening and you are enjoying, talk about it with your friends. If you know anybody who has any interest in Harry Potter whatsoever, 
tell them about the the podcast. This is a different, unique way of going through the story. Yes, you can watch the movies. Yes, you can read the books. But this is a different way. It's a podcast form where we're going through everything with different talking points, different plot holes, different variations of different things. If there are different contingencies of what could have happened in any of these situations, we're going to try and talk about it. And with that being said, if there's anything that I misspeak on, if there's anything that I get wrong, because I am not an expert by any means, I am just somebody who's been through the book a lot and really enjoys the story, let me know. Reach out to me, commonroomtalk at gmail.com. Shoot me a, a message if it's something that you want read over the next episode or an upcoming episode. I will definitely read it out loud for people to hear. We can talk about any thoughts that you have, any different, differing opinions that you might have. Please let me know. Again, commonroomtalk at gmail.com. We also have a Facebook group. We're on Reddit. We're on Instagram, all under that same name of Common Room Talk. But if you like it, leave a review, a written review on some of the platforms just helps get the the show promoted and i want to get this out there so other people can really enjoy it again guys thank you so much for listening it is such a a pleasure to sit here and do this and it's just even more wonderful uh, when the burden of just everyday responsibility is lightly being lifted so again it's wonderful this was wonderful the story is wonderful you're wonderful everything's wonderful thank you so much. I can't say it enough. Thank you. My name's Tony. I'm your host. And this is Common Room Talk.